This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 108, entitled Introducing Son of Man Christology in the Gospel of John. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast, always, is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. The Gospel of John has been a sticking point for persons interested in the subject of Christology for quite a long time. Who is Jesus? And why does the Gospel of John sound so different from the former three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke? These are important questions, and my hope is that by turning to the Gospel of John in our ongoing study of the Son of Man, we can find some reasonable answers that are not influenced by church councils hundreds of years after John was written. The Gospel of John has a reasonable scattering of Son of Man sayings, and almost all of them have no parallel to the sayings we have studied in the three synoptic Gospels. This means we have much to dissect and much to learn. In this episode, we will thoroughly explore the first two Son of Man sayings in John's Gospel. The initial saying portrays Jesus as the Son of Man who connects heaven and earth. Does this mean that the Son of Man came down out of heaven? We will also look at a saying where the Son of Man is portrayed as having descended from heaven. Isn't this a clear indicator of pre-existence? And what are we to make of the humanity of the Son of Man? Can a human being do all the things that Jesus is described as doing in the Gospel of John? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is entitled, The Son of Man Who Bridges Heaven and Earth. I'm going to read a passage out of John chapter 1, starting in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's John chapter 1, verses 47 through 51. In this initial saying about the Son of Man in the fourth gospel, there are a lot of factors to consider. First, 
we need to discern the meaning of Son of Man. Second, we need to try to situate the saying in light of the human Jesus in John's Gospel, who is the Word become flesh, and ask what sort of implications that might mean. Third, we need to decide how the allusion to Jacob's ladder in Genesis chapter 28 is being used or reused by Jesus in his response. In this passage, Jesus begins a dialogue with Nathanael. As the interchange continues, Jesus states that you, in the plural, will see the heavens opened and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Whether the second person plural refers to Nathanael and Philip, or the disciples of Jesus, or even the expected readers of the Gospel of John, the point is that the application of Jesus' response is wider than merely something that only Nathanael should witness. Truly, the act of the heavens opening and the Son of Man functioning as the ladder between heaven and earth is something greater than many will witness as the narrative of the fourth gospel continues. When Jesus speaks of himself as the Son of Man in this passage, there doesn't seem to be the typical echoes of Daniel chapter 7 that we have been accustomed to seeing in the Synoptic Gospels. There doesn't seem to be a mention of Jesus acting as a representative figure or any mention of suffering or being handed over. One thing we can discern is that the Son of Man in our current passage is an important figure, one who is acting as the ladder between heaven and earth. In fact, the mentioning of the heavens opening suggests that something significant is being revealed from God's realm. The Son of Man acts as a revelatory figure, bridging the gap between heaven and earth. Since Jesus says that, quote, you will see the heavens opened, end quote, the perspective is from someone down on earth someone who is looking up at the heavens opening. In other words, the secrets of heaven, which are likely the divine purposes and salvific plans of God, are to be opened up to those on earth. And the person who will bring about these revelations is none other than the Son of Man, that is, a human being. So while Son of Man still maintains its understanding as a truly human figure, he is an authorized figure who is entrusted with the heavenly secrets that are to be revealed to Nathaniel, Philip, the disciples, and all the readers of John's Gospel. In this sense, where the Son of Man is a highly authorized human being, we can discern a connection to Daniel chapter 7. The God of heaven has chosen this human being to reveal the things of heaven, 
to communicate the purposes of God. It is not God himself coming down, dressed up as a man, to communicate these things to the world. Instead, it is the Son of Man, a human being, who functions as the empowered and authorized revealer. This is a very important distinction that we need to maintain. Of course, Jesus' insistence that the revealer of the things in heaven is an authorized human being draws back on a few key points from the prologue, which encompasses the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we learn that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The creative and powerful Word of God was poetically embodied into a human being, namely the human Jesus. Since the Son of Man is a reference that specifically highlights a member of the human race, we should see for the Gospel of John that the Son of Man is the flesh that the Word became. The Word was poetically embodied in the human Son of Man. If the Son of Man is the human embodiment of the Word, then the Son of Man authoritatively conveys the very words, commandments, and oracles of God, which certainly constitute heavenly things that are intended to be communicated to those on earth. It is no small thing to have God put his own words into the mouth of a human being. But that is exactly what happened with the Son of Man as he is portrayed in the Gospel of John. We should also consider John chapter 1, verse 18 in the prologue, where the Son is said to reveal the Father, the Father whom no one has ever seen. In other words, Jesus is to act as the revealer of the unseen and invisible God. In fact, the verb used in John chapter 1, verse 18 for reveal is where we get the term exegesis. The Son will exegete the invisible God. The Son will reveal the unseen God. Again, it is important that we note what is being said and what is not being said. The revealer of the unseen God is the Son of Man, who functions as the highly authorized human being who exegetes God and God's words to the world. This isn't God personally coming down from heaven to reveal himself. Nor is this God the Son coming down revealing God the Father. That is not what the text says. Neither is this an angel coming down to reveal God. This is a human being, appropriately authorized for the task of revealing the things of heaven, the things of God. We should take a moment to consider how the fourth gospel is drawing upon the imagery of Jacob and his dream from Genesis chapter 28. 
let's appropriately set the stage with a quick reading of the dream sequence in Genesis. I'm going to read a passage out of Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 12. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep. That's Genesis chapter 28, verses 12 through 16. As we can see from the dream of Jacob, a ladder was revealed that extended from heaven to earth. The angels go up and they come down the ladder. After the ladder is described, God reveals himself to Jacob and God conveys to him that he will have many descendants and that God's salvific blessing will move through Jacob's family. However, when Jesus alludes to this story and reuses it in regard to the role of the Son of Man, there is no actual ladder found. The Son of Man effectively functions as the ladder that connects heaven to earth. While the Genesis story placed the ladder as the means to connect God and the heavenly things above with Jacob below, the Gospel of John makes the human Jesus, that is, the Son of Man, to be the ladder that reveals God and God's words to the people below. By drawing on the dream of Jacob, the fourth gospel depicts a human being as the authorized revealer of the open heavens. Readers of the Gospel of John should, therefore, listen very carefully to what this authorized human being has to say something that the antagonist in the wider narrative, namely the Jews in John's Gospel, do not do very well. Upon further reflection, the placement of Jesus as the Son of Man, who is the type of Jacob's ladder, is an aptly appropriate introductory Son of Man saying for the fourth Gospel. It connects readers back to the prologue, where the human Jesus is the embodiment of God's creative and powerful word. As the human mouthpiece of God, the Son of Man functions as the sole revealer of the divine purposes. He is the human being who exegetes the unseen God. In doing so, the Son of Man is distinguished from the heavenly angels and from the unseen God. It will be interesting to see how the Son of Man functions in John's Gospel as an authorized revealer of the heavenly things of God.
Our second point today is the Son of Man who reveals the things of heaven. We'll look at a passage out of John chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. That's John chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. This is another passage that is confusing for many readers, especially for those who are unaware of the polemical tone of this passage. We first need to explore how this passage, which is the second Son of Man saying in the Gospel of John, fits with that that has already been stated about the Son of Man. Second, we need to understand what is meant by earthly things and heavenly things. Third, we should discern what is the nature of the polemic and why Jesus says that no one has done this sort of thing except for the Son of Man. Then, we will ask about the question of pre-existence and whether that is even a relevant point in this passage at all. In John chapter 3, Jesus is having a private conversation at night with Nicodemus, whom Jesus describes as a teacher of Israel. As the conversation goes on, it becomes clear that figurative things Jesus is speaking of are being regarded literally by Nicodemus, leading to further and further confusion on his part. The reader of the Gospel of John is able to see how the misunderstandings take place from the perspective of Nicodemus, and the narrator chimes in to offer his authoritative interpretation of the events that are being told. In this passage, Jesus is portrayed as the Son of Man who alone has ascended into heaven and who descended from heaven. Taking the cue that we have already received from the narrating storyteller, the Son of Man is an authorized human revealer of the words and purposes of God. This is what we saw back in John chapter 1, verse 51. It is not surprising that the Son of Man in our present passage acts as the ladder between the heavenly things and the earthly things. And it is important that we keep in mind that this revelatory figure is portrayed as a genuine human being, as the Son of Man. So based on what we saw in John chapter 1, with the Son of Man depicted as the human ladder who bridges the open heavens to the people below, we have a foundation upon which we can better understand our present passage in John 3.13. Let's talk about the earthly and heavenly things, as this is regarded as a confusing point for average readers of our passage. 
In John chapter 3 and verse 12, Jesus asks Nicodemus how he will be able to comprehend the heavenly things if he cannot first understand the earthly things. The contrast here is that the earthly things are the more basic of the two, while the heavenly things of God are greater. Earthly, as a descriptor, is not describing the planet Earth, the third rock from the sun. In other words, the focus with the adjective earthly is not so much on location of earthly as it is a reference to the basic things that can be discerned from our human point of view. On the same token, the things of heaven, the heavenly things, are not focused so much on the location of heaven as they are stressing the things of God, his purposes, and his salvific plans to redeem the world. I find it easier to frame my thinking of this passage with the adjectives earthly and heavenly as identifications of facts rather than locations of those facts. I'm going to say that again. The adjectives earthly and heavenly in John 3:12 are more identifications rather than locations. The earthly and the heavenly are interested in identifying their respective things, not in locating them. This will help readers in later passages of the Gospel of John, where the disciples are defined as not of this world, while the Pharisees are from below. Clearly, these are meant to identify the persons, not to locate the persons. The point of getting situated appropriately with the adjectives earthly and heavenly in John 3 verse 12 is that those meanings carry over into the next verse, into John 3:13, where no one has ascended into heaven, that is, to obtain and understand the heavenly things of God's salvific purposes except for the human Jesus, the Son of Man. As the authorized revelatory figure, the Son of Man acts as the ladder to the opened heavens and exegetes the Father and the Father's purposes to those below. To ascend into heaven is a way of gaining access to the things of God. That is, to come to understand God's will and his secrets. Ascending to heaven, as a phrase, means to obtain to the heavenly things. So naturally, descending would indicate the function of revealing those heavenly things to those on earth. Very few people could claim to have ascended into the mind of God to access the heavenly purposes and secrets. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that he himself once ascended into the third heaven, but he refused to reveal those secrets to the Corinthians. 
what Paul means by ascending into the third heaven was that he had a spiritual trance experience where the things of heaven were revealed to him. It had nothing to do with Paul being physically lifted up off of the earth to enter into the third level of the heavens above. Remember, heavenly things are identifying them as the things of God, not locating them in the realm of heaven. Furthermore, John the Revelator, the John who brought us the book of Revelation, which is almost certainly a different John from the writer of the fourth gospel, claims that he too saw heavenly things in Revelation chapters 4 through 5. But his own words describe this experience as being, quote, in the spirit, end quote, on the island of Patmos. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. So, while it was a rare thing for a spiritual person to be given access to the heavenly things, these persons were not actually transferred off of the planet upward into heaven. These were trance-like experiences, visionary experiences, and sometimes dreams. For John chapter 3 and verse 13, to say that the Son of Man has ascended into heaven, this means that he has truly gained access to the things of God in the capacity of a revelatory figure. It is unlikely that the author intended for his readers to think that the human Jesus physically went up into heaven and came back down to earth prior to the conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3. It is much more likely that the human Son of Man is acting as the one who authoritatively exegetes the Father, who speaks the words of God, and who acts as the ladder between the opened heaven and the earth below. The reference to descending from heaven in John 3.13 might be best explained as the Son of Man who is the embodiment of the Word of God, the Word become flesh. This explanation might be worth considering since the act of revealing the words of God brings the things of heaven to those below, like to Nicodemus. Furthermore, the verb ascended in John chapter 3 and verse 13 is in the perfect tense, meaning that the results of this acquisition of the heavenly purposes of God are still in effect for us to benefit from and to experience. Let's now talk about the polemic of John 3.13. When the passage says that no one has ascended to heaven, save the Son of Man, the narrator is making a polemical claim. Only Jesus, in the capacity of the authorized Son of Man, has any real claim to be the revealer of the things of heaven. By the end of the first century, when the fourth gospel was finalized, there were many other Jewish contenders 
to this claim. In the extra-biblical Jewish sources, many other human figures were portrayed as having access to the heavenly plans and purposes of God. But, for the Gospel of John, only the Son of Man can make this exclusive claim. The Son of Man is the sole revealer of the unseen God, the only one who can exegete the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me, says the Son of Man later in John's Gospel. For those who are interested, the other human beings who were hailed as authorized revealers in those non-Christian Jewish sources were Enoch, in First and Second Enoch, Abraham, in the Testament of Abraham and the Apocalypse of Abraham, Adam, in the document Life of Adam and Eve, Levi, in the Testament of Levi, Baruch, in Second Baruch, and Isaiah, in the Ascension of Isaiah. We should point out that for these various Jewish sources, a human being was perfectly capable of revealing the things of heaven. So for the Gospel of John to say that the Son of Man, Jesus, was the revealer of the heavenly things, this fits quite well into its wider Jewish context. There is nothing scandalous about suggesting that a human being was capable of unveiling the purposes and salvific plans of God. The scandal of saying that only the Son of Man is authorized to make such revelations is where the audience of the fourth gospel met opposition with their Jewish opponents. In other words, it is not the humanity of Jesus that was the issue for concern but the exclusive claim that only Jesus could reveal the Father. That was the issue, and remains the issue throughout the Gospel of John. And this brings us to the point of pre-existence. Sometimes it is suggested that John chapter 3 and verse 13 indicates that the author believed in the pre-existence of Jesus. What are the merits of this claim? Since the subject of John 3.13 is the Son of Man, that is, a human being, I don't know what is gained by actually saying that a human being pre-existed in heaven. This would be a rather odd Christological claim. Furthermore, to press the statement that the Son of Man descended from heaven too literally, is to ignore the adjectival meaning of earthly and heavenly. The human Jesus did not physically come down from heaven. The human Jesus was born here on earth. So there appear to be problems with arguing for the preexistence of the Son of Man in John 3.13. What has existed in heaven was the things of heaven, the salvific purposes of God. And these things, the Son of Man is exclusively authorized to reveal. But the human Son of Man didn't pre-exist in heaven. That would be strange.
So, in conclusion, we have observed that the Gospel of John seems to have its own emphasis when it comes to depicting Jesus as the Son of Man. Having looked at the first two Son of Man sayings in the fourth Gospel, the points of emphasis have become clear. First, the Johannine Son of Man is an authentic human figure, an actual human being. Son of Man is not a descriptor of a supposed human nature in the post-biblical two natures doctrine of Christ. Son of Man is indicative of a genuine member of the human race. Since the Gospel of John calls Jesus a man far more frequently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined, the full humanity of the Son of Man should not be ignored as a Christological emphasis in the fourth Gospel. Rather, it's extremely important to the Gospel of John. Second, we noted that the Son of Man is a highly authorized figure. He bears considerable authority from the true God. The Jesus in the fourth gospel is no mere man. He is incredibly authorized, bearing in his being the very words, commandments, and oracles of God. Therefore, the Son of Man is the mouthpiece of God's oracles and words. The Son of Man also acts as the one who exegetes and unveils the unseen God. While there were other human beings portrayed in Jewish sources as authorized in a similar capacity within Judaism, such as Enoch, Abraham, and Isaiah, it is the Son of Man who exclusively functions as the authorized human revealer of the only true God. This brings us to our third conclusion. The Son of Man is repeatedly portrayed as a revelatory figure, one who unveils and communicates the things of God to those who have ears to hear. Using typology, the Son of Man acts as the ladder connecting the open heavens with those below. In fact, the fourth gospel makes it clear that no one can claim to have access to the salvific purposes of heaven except the Son of Man, who has ascended into God's mind. By portraying Jesus as the Son of Man, who possessed incredible authorization from God and who acts as the exclusive revealer of God, we can safely conclude that the fourth gospel exhibits a high human Christology rather than a Trinitarian or angelic Christology. Join us next week as we continue our multi-part study of the Gospel of John in regard to its portrayal of Jesus as the Son of Man. And if you've been blessed by the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, please consider supporting us as we continue to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for joining us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and until next time, 
You folks take care.